So tonight I'd like to just explore um, one of these aspects that we've been uh, playing with, but I wanted to just start by uh, reviewing uh, somewhat these uh, the factors and uh, uh, these five qualities or powers and the Brahma Viharas as just a way to thread into this. And uh, one of the uh, really beautiful pieces that uh, Jack gave that first night was uh, from the Saputa when he was ill. I believe that's who it was. And that he described the, the, uh, this uh, uh, ridgepole and the, um, the rafters uh, coming off of it. And that uh, this was really the foundation of these seven factors. And uh, in a sense, we can look at that uh, as a um, what a model or map. And I wanted to just play with that a little bit um, and start here. It actually starts a little bit more with where uh, Leela goes. And this is Ajit's question from the Sutta Nipata. What is it, said Ajita, that smothers the world? What makes the world so hard to see? What would you say pollutes the world and what threatens it most? It is ignorance which smothers, said the Master, and it is carelessness and greed which make the world invisible. It is carelessness and greed which make the world invisible. The hunger of desire pollutes the world, and the great source of fear is the pain of suffering. In every direction, said Ajita, the rivers of desire are running. How can we dam them, and what will hold them back? What can we use to close the floodgates? Any river can be stopped with the dam of mindfulness, said the Buddha. I call it the flood stopper. And with wisdom, you can close the floodgates. So I read that because of these factors um, this, uh, that Leela spoke so uh, beautifully about, that it is the ridgepole uh, in all the... Um, Practices here in this last year, last summer, I was in Ladakh and one of the um, doing a 30 day retreat. And these factors of awakening uh, have really become a, a way that I hold my practice. And it really has to do you have this ridge pole, and then you have uh, what they really what they call the arousing factors and the calming factors, or the uh, and there are these three which uh, allow us in some way uh, to uh, bring ourselves uh, to the present. You know? And it's simply this quality, which uh, Mark will talk about tomorrow night, investigation. Uh, there's virya, this energy, and joy, which are the arousing factors. And then we have on the other side, which are sort of the, you have the, the ridge pole, which is this mindfulness uh, which actually is the that that uh, balances all things. Uh, but again, we have to discriminate. We have to find out what it is that you need, you know, to inspire you 
uh, to find this balance in your practice. At the same time, on the other side, which we work with a lot here, is a sense of uh, this uh, practice of um, calm or sometimes uh, spoken of as tranquility uh, that uh, gives us kind of the the root or the ground uh, for uh, this mindfulness. There's also the concentration, the one-pointedness uh, that is necessary to support uh, that bridge pole as well as this equanimity. So these are just these these pieces, and I find it in my own practice that uh, looking at these as uh, when there's some deficiency, and sometimes it's just I'm just tired and I'm I'm not, um, you know, uh, so connected with that mindfulness that it may be that I have to open my eyes or I feel like I have to go out and I walk a little longer to actually have some investigation, or Mark will talk about investigation, I mean, uh, energy, and that also uh, there is this factor of joy, you know, that it actually, when we begin to recognize that it is also part and parcel of the, the rich pole has it built into it. And so when that mindfulness is there, we can actually emphasize, you know, that it is here with us when that mindfulness is there. And then the same with these qualities that also, um, which are spoken of these, uh, which are also part of the general, um, what really direction here that we're moving in these, uh, supporting factors of awakening, which is also uh, known as also part of this ridge pole, is sometimes the five qualities or uh, five spiritual faculties, or sometimes also enlist the five powers, and they are uh, simply that we have we have faith, uh, and that there has to be the proper energy, and again the ridge pole is the mindfulness. And then there is uh, the concentration and this uh, factor of wisdom. So these are just the uh, kind of supporting qualities. And you'll find that as we go along, we're trying to uh, give you some support in each of these so that at some moments when there's some kind of question, uh, then you can uh, recognize it and bring it into this uh, balance of what holds the ridge pole up, this uh, ridge pole of mindfulness. And again, last night Maria uh, talked about the metta practice in the sense of uh, that we have the Brahma Viharas that are also, in a sense, the higher emotions uh, that we are supporting here. And it is uh, helpful and necessary as part of the uh, Again, I can just use the word support uh, towards awakening, that we have the loving kindness, uh, we explore the compassion, uh, we recognize and acknowledge this uh, truth of joy and sympathetic uh, connection and understanding uh, of when it's there, and that it is all held uh, in this, uh, really this, uh, you know, quality of uh, equanimity as the fundamentals. So I just wanted to go through those with you.
So of these, uh, I wanted to speak about faith tonight. And sometimes the word faith is uh, a little difficult uh, as a word. Uh, and uh, many times it's translated as just a confidence or conviction. So I wrote a poem, which is uh, based on my exploration uh, of this word, uh, faith. And it's just called Exploring Faith. In a world of shifting sands, one sees the hawk perched in our valley, calm, devoted to all movement in the green sparkling grasses. The crow dive bombs him. This is my roof, my territory my meditation hall, my stories, my thoughts. How dare you intrude? Standing on the edge, the merciless, sweet sound of your own voice, never convincing you to jump. The taste of salt and dry mouth and the blood from your own bitten lip told you you could outthink this life weighing all things with your golden intelligence that jumping into complete silence the sheer darkness it would have consequences no matter how courageously you struggled yet your own redemption This simple gesture, a Buddha touching the earth, dissolving the madness of centuries, a hawk posed on the edge of the roof, about to drop off into the darkness of the unknown. Only two possibilities finding something so, finding something solid to stand on or you will be taught how to fly faith comes in confirmation like electricity unseen yet lights your path faith comes in confirmation like electricity unseen, yet it lights your path. So, it's a really um, interesting process uh, when we have to take and and, um, look at, first of all, to look at faith, because faith is also something that uh, has to be recognized as it's, there's its opposite, which I see as doubt and fear. And uh, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when I first went to Asia. I remember in the, this was in the 60s, and I was given this little piece of paper in Kathmandu, and, and it was uh, from one of Chogyam Trumpa's 
uh, journeys in maybe 65 to uh, Bhutan, and he went there to sit in some cave, and he wrote this wonderful, uh, it was just one page. And um, it was really uh, so inspiring to me. And so I would read it a couple times a week as part of my practice for probably uh, for, for probably four years. And there was something in, in traveling around Asia, you know, I had this, I had the most, uh, uh, what, uh, some of the most gifted teachers. Uh, I spent a year with this man, Tupdineshi, and then I went on to go into an ashram for a while, and then I went to Budgaya in the 60s, and, and I met my friend Joseph Goldstein there, and, and Anagarika Manindra. And then went and lived with uh, a great teacher, Kalu Rinpoche, you know, in, uh, in Sonada, near Darjeeling. So I feel like I was so blessed, and yet somewhere inside of me, it wasn't enough. You know, and I would read this and I went, oh, you know, there's this place, you know. Uh, and he had been at Tail of the Tiger and had just, uh, he had moved to Boulder. And after a little craziness up in Jackson Hole. And um, I didn't know any of that. You know, all I knew was I had been carrying this, this hope even though I was with the most fabulous teachers. And you know how that is. It's always greener on the other side. And so I'd held this, uh, this reading, and I carried it, you know, and I, I, I went there, and I was really, um, you know, there for about six months. I remember I, all I had was a jola with me, just like my purse, and, and, uh, and a blanket over that, and traveled, really in its, um, the most basic, simple way you can imagine. But I carried this with me. You know, and it was all beaten up and kind of ripped up. But, you know, every once in a while when I really needed some inspiration, I thought, oh, here. You know, and uh, in this process, I decided, oh, you know, um, I, I just, I guess I have to say this. I, um, I guess in 66, uh, my father had uh, turned me into the draft. You know, and it was a very painful kind of process for me in the sense of, uh, you know, this was the right thing to do uh, from where he stood. And, and uh, it was actually a great gift because it allowed me to stay in Asia for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't see it that way. You know, I felt it really is this kind of true betrayal on some level. And, uh, but some years later then, I decided I would go and visit him. You know, and it was a whole uh, long process of of um, deciding uh, that I really needed to have darshan. If you know what the word darshan is, it's really, it's the word seeing, you know? And I had to go and see this person, you know, who uh, was a very, a kind of abusive alcoholic. And I went there, and uh, it was, um, you know, I got to see him, and I got to see that, you know, uh, for all my projections, it was just suffering, you know? It was suffering on top of suffering. And so at that point, you know, I said, oh, I've, I'm going to go to Boulder. I'm going to go see the great master now, the real one, right? After I'd been with these marvelous ones in Asia, and, you know, I, I was, I'm somewhat dyslexic. I had a really hard time with all my friends who were, you know, uh, you know, speaking Tibetan or, uh, you know, and had great language skills, tremendous language skills. And um, 
you know, I was a big zero, you know. It was just not uh, how my mind worked, you know. And um, so I get it all together to go to Boulder and meet the great man, you know. And I'd just come from uh, going through this whole just uh, heartbreaking experience with uh, my father, you know, and uh, recognizing kind of the my own truth of how I had held things and how we all, you know, we, you know, what what was it that uh, Mark Twain said, you know, um, was I wrote that down somewhere just because I thought it was uh, great, you know, it was a quote, you know, of uh, you know terrible things happened in my life, uh, was it? I have to pull it out here. Oh, I have been through such terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. <laughs> you know, you know that one, you know. So I got there, and um, I went to see the great man, and I, I built up so much hope, I guess it was, you know. And he always talked about, you know, get rid of your hope, but, you know, I brought it to the table, you know. And uh, I stayed for a couple of weeks and decided, you know, I better go back to Asia, you know. Because I went there and I'd just come from the pain of this, uh, of this alcoholic. And we all know about, you know, when it comes to faith and it comes to trust of how, uh, how easily it's shattered by a child, you know. And so that's what I was faced with. And I came to Boulder, and I, 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 you know, I'm not very judgmental, and I really tried to kind of stay with it in the sense of, um, you know, going to the talks and coming in the morning, I'd have interviews, and I'd walk in, and he'd have one of, you know, those hundred long cigarettes, you know, and, and his Colt 45 tall can, you know? And out of my family system, I lost hope. You know, I went, oh my gosh, what have you... What is this? You know, and I love him dearly. By the way, it's just you know, there's a he had a way with language that was so brilliant, you know. But there was the personality, you know. And I thought, oh well, here this would be a safe place. This would be a place to land, you know. And um, it kind of broke my heart, you know. And I realized, oh, what can I trust out there anyway, you know? And I had put a lot into this, thinking, you know, this was something that, you know, in the Dharma I could, I could come to. And, you know, and, and it was, it was uh, and, you know, I went and got drunk, by the way, more than once with him, you know. Again, I'm very accommodating. <laughs> and, um, but it made me realize this whole thing of the responsibility we have. And, and I, you know, all these years I, keep thinking, oh, I'll find somebody I can 100% trust on some level. And, you know, you know, I love the Dalai Lama. I love, he's a human being. Uh, there's all the things that I can say, oh, I could say the qualities of this human being are phenomenal, and I can trust the qualities. But I so also understand that uh, somehow uh, this is all about a mirror, you know, that uh, the Buddha simply said, you know, where, when Ananda at the end of his life, when, who was so devoted to him, you know, I, I'm so touched 
uh, by you know, his attendant, Ananda, who had, the, during his lifetime, uh, he was close to the Buddha. He, he had this photographic memory. He could remember everything the Buddha said. He was the person who said, okay, you can go and see the Buddha this afternoon. You know, appointment book, right? And he held that so beautifully without himself ever, they say he reached kind of the first stage of awakening, but he didn't go any farther, you know? And he attended so closely. It was really a, a, a truth of, of this. You know, sometimes I see it as the kind of the absolute and the relative. The Buddha was the absolute and the heart and the truth of the world in its unenlightened state was Ananda. You know, that he, he had that. And um, it wasn't after, uh, till the Buddha died, actually. And they had this first council that he actually took and took the practice to its finality. No. A great example of um, faith that I don't have. Okay? You know. So, one of the things is that um, in our culture, and I think particularly in our uh, community culture here. But we have to, and the thing is investigate and see what it is that um, allows us to trust and mistrust and to have faith and not faith. And so there is this piece uh, about the question itself. So I'd like to just read, this is a, a piece that I uh, adore from Rilke. We have no reason to harbor any mistrust against our world, for it is not against us. If it has its terrors, they are our terrors. If it has abysses, these abysses belong to us. If there are dangers, we must try to love them. And only if we could arrange our lives in accordance with the principles that tell us that we must always trust in the difficult, then what now appears to us to be alien will become our most intimate and trusted experience. What now appears to us to be alien will become our most intimate and trusted experience. How could we forget those ancient myths that stand at the beginning of all races? The myths about dragons that at the last moment are transformed into princesses. Perhaps all the dragons in our lives are only princesses waiting for us to act just once with beauty and courage. Perhaps everything that frightens us in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love. So you must not be frightened if a sadness rises before you larger than any you've ever seen. If an anxiety like light and clouds, shadows moves over your hands and everything that you do, you must realize that something has happened to you. Life has not forgotten you that it holds you in its hands and will not let you fall. Why do you want to shut out 
of your life, any uneasiness or miseries or any depressions. For after all, you do not know what work these conditions are doing inside of you. You do not know what work these conditions are doing inside of you. So we have to come to this practice, you know, uh, with our, you know, sometimes our, our hopes and our wishes and our uh, beliefs. And in some way, uh, first of all, they have to be tested. You know, I love the the thing, I think, that one of the beauties of Buddhism that in my early years that I um, read and realized how important it was uh, t- to give me a basis to start this work of building some trust and faith. And it was just called the Kalama Sutta. And this is a, a rather liberal, uh, but short, not long uh, translation of that I like. Don't believe in anything simply because you have heard it. Do not believe in traditions because they have been handed down for many generations. Do not believe in anything because it is spoken or rumored by many. Do not believe in anything simply because it is found written in your religious books. Do not believe in anything merely on the authority of your teachers and elders. But after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason, and is conducive to the good and benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it. And this is a a simple translation of it because there's some very, you know, uh, beautiful ones, more poetic and stuff. But this is the bottom line here, that somehow we have to, in essence, uh, recognize that this is not about, uh, you know, I think in a lot of ways, I was hoping we have built in us, and I know when I first went to India, one of the things that I was hoping to find was a savior. You know, something that could save me from my foolishness, my misery, my confusion. You know, and it's, it's in a sense, is built into us on some level uh, that we uh, want that on some level. And we have to be, in, in essence, we have to kind of, I guess sometimes I think it's, I, I don't know, it's a funny kind of thing, but put in the washing machine and spun around, you know, so that uh, uh, life begins to uh, show us uh, so many of its aspects, you know, and that we uh, actually resist. Uh, we resist our faith in some way. And so we have to, in a sense, kind of come to this place and Ananda you know, at the end, uh, there was the Parinirvana Sutta, where the Buddha actually, you know, his last words were, be a light unto yourself. You know, and I'm not sure if that's the exact translation, but you get the gist, you know? And there's the thing about this, uh, the possibility of responding to life, being responsible for it. And that means being responsible for this path and your ability to uh, support these factors, you know, using this ridge pole of mindfulness and and these uh, uh, balancing uh, of these beams that hold up 
that mindfulness. And again, uh, it's easy uh, to lose. And one of the things in my poem that I think, well, what is it that allows us in some way to begin to find this simple faith or trust? And it really goes... um, you know, I use this thing of, of you know, that uh, dive bombing of the a crow that uh, comes to kind of disturb uh, and the whole thing around territory and how things work, you know. But who told you you could outthink this life, weighing all the things with your golden intelligence, that jumping into complete silence, the sheer darkness would have consequences no matter how courageously you struggled. Yet, your own redemption, this simple gesture, a Buddha touching the earth, dissolving the madness of centuries, a hawk poised on the, head, on the edge of the roof, about to drop off into the darkness of the unknown. So, the skills, uh, one of the simple skills here that for myself I found that I had to acquire uh, that came from this practice was had to do with uh, the the story of the Buddha when he finally uh, comes to uh, where he has the confrontation uh, in the sense with, you could say his own darkness, but it was really what they call the Maras, you know, the ten armies, uh, came and challenged him. You know, what right do you have to let go? You know? And his response was, he simply took his left hand and he touched the earth. You know? And that gesture that connection. And he said, oh, this is, you know, through all my, well, if you want to, all my lives, you know, all his deeds as a bodhisattva, that the earth, the Gaia, was a witness to his goodness. You know? And I think in this practice, uh, one of the things of gaining uh, some um, stance so that you can begin to, in essence, develop uh, faith that is based uh, truly on, uh, not on, uh, they talk about it in three ways, is is blind faith, uh, as borrowed faith, and verified faith. And so I know you all start out. We all start, so many times, uh, all of our life is based on this blind faith. You know, and we just have to take these intuitive kind of risks in life. You know. But from the practice point of view, this fact that um, uh, that can't be our stance. What our stance is, is that we have to turn with some kind of intelligence in this case and some kind of ability to intuitively uh, know and in and, and this practice, in the sense that we come here to bring all these factors into balance, uh, why? 
So we can begin to, in a sense, go below all this reality of uh, we think in words, you know, our great intelligence. And we go around, we're always labeling and naming things uh, that aren't so. They're just conventions. You know, they're very skillful and wonderful things. But what we're trying to do is get under the language itself and find a place that we can, in essence, kind of touch uh, the ground itself, the ground of our being uh, that uh, verifies uh, our goodness. You know? And that when you sit here, I always, in my instructions, I always have this thing that, you know, we sit and um, one of the things is, is that, you know, uh, to acknowledge that you're being held by the earth right now as you sit here. You know, you're not separate from it. You are these elements that are in constant flux, no different than the earth. And they're the same elements that in the end you'll just be, you know, ashes or something or you'll go back to it. But for right now, we have this privilege, you know, this privilege of, of finding that connection and that sense of ground and in a sense of, of not personal history, but kind of history itself you know, that gives you permission, that gives you permission in some way uh, to relax, you know, you touch the earth. It holds you. You know, you can think all sorts of things, you know, uh, which is a wonderful capacity and all sorts of language and languages and all this. But ultimately underneath, you know, uh, Jack used this terminology of the, you know, and the, I guess it was in the Kemar times when this uh, Buddha was hidden, I understood, uh, by the monks of that time, and the Kemars came and killed them all, so nobody knew that underneath this clay statue was a solid gold Buddha. You know? And so part of our job here is to uh, recognize that we can touch that part of ourselves. You know? It's not something... Um, foreign. Uh, it's something that's actually instinctual, that goodness. I like, Trumpa always used to use the word that there was, you know, this sometimes is referred to in, as Buddha nature, but uh, this simple truth of basic goodness. You know? And that you have the capacity to, um, you know, stop running. Turn around and recognize, yes, there's this history that sometimes uh, is really difficult, you know. This last in January, uh, 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 a Zen teacher that would come here and teach, and she had, uh, what's it called, rheumatoral arthritis, I'm going to load it up my tongue. And uh, this is, her name was Darlene Cohen. And I just want to read a piece because it's, it's so, you know, true that um, you know what she faced is a piece of what we have to learn you know to face in ourselves and you know you all have you're only going one direction and 
you started this talk and you have that many less breaths from the time this started. You know, it's, it's going by. People sometimes ask me where my own healing energy comes from. How in the midst of this pain, this implacable, slow crippling, can I encourage myself and other people? My answer is that my healing comes from my bitterness itself. My despair, my terror, it comes from the shadow. I dip down into the muck again and again and then am flooded with its healing energy. I dip down into that muck again and again and then am flooded with its healing energy. Despite the renewal and vitality it gives me to face my deepest fears, I don't go willingly when it, when it calls. I've been around that wheel a million times. First I feel the despair, but I deny it for a few days. Then, it tugs, then its tug becomes more insistent in proportion to my resistance. Finally, it overwhelms me and pulls me down, kicking and screaming all the way. It's clear I am caught, so at last I give up to this reunion with the dark aspect of my adjustment to pain and loss. Immediately, the release begins. First peace, then a flood of vitality and healing energy. I can never just give up to it when I first feel it stir. You think after a million times with happy endings. I could give up right away and just say, take me, I'm yours. But I never can. I always resist. I guess that's why it's called despair. If you went willingly, it would be called something else like purification or renewal or something hopeful. It's staring defeat and annihilation in the face that is so terrifying. I must resist until it overwhelms me, but I've come to trust it deeply. And this is it. I've come to trust it deeply. It enriches my life, informs my work, and taught me not to fear the dark. You know, these are not easy teachings in that way, you know. And so uh, one of the practices here is that going through this, going through all the different stuff that you have to go through here. I wish I could say, you know, uh, it's all simple and easy. And sometimes, you know, from retreat to retreat, guess what? You know, and, sometimes, and I also say over the years, it gets better. But the truth is life it's going to throw you a lot of curveballs. So to do that, uh, it means that you're going to have to uh, learn how this process works, you know, and get some conviction about when, it's, when that roof is held properly. And this uh, awareness, this mindfulness, uh, this capacity to be completely here and in touch with what's going on and below all the chatter, you know, that you can begin to trust, you know, uh, this innate connection, 
This is called The Fountain by Denise Levertov. Don't say, don't say there is no water to solace the dryness at our hearts. I have seen the fountain springing out of the rock wall and you drinking there. I too, before your eyes, found footholds and climbed to drink the cool water. The woman of that place, shading her eyes, frowned as she watched. But not because she grudged the water, only because she was waiting to see we drank our fill and were refreshed. Don't say, don't say there is no water. That fountain is there among its scalloped green and gray stones. It is still there and always there with its quiet song and strange power to spring in us up and out through the rock. So I've had to, you know, part of my thinking here was this idea that somehow I wish I could say that uh, that we could kind of just go to this uh, verified faith. And I think we're all working towards that. But I also know that uh, you're going to step again and again into the unknown. Not something that's not possible to know. You know, it, it can't be known. If it if it's known, you know, in a way you could say, well, it wouldn't be your life. You know, because that's the kind of gift and also the fear of being here. We can't know. You know, and part of our whole system is about somehow, you know, if I tighten it down and I, I hold it really tight, you know, and I can really control the thing then I'll be happy, you know. And this is not about that, you know. Uh, certainly it takes uh, a lot of energy, a lot of effort uh, in this, uh, you know, these old habits of um, forgetting, you know, and that what we're doing here is, uh, is over and over again, uh, remembering that we have a place to sit in the center of our lives, And that we can begin little by little, just little pieces of this to trust. And allow that faith somehow to, you know, and it's not really, it's this piece is not about faith out there. It's actually this faith in what's here, what's completely here, you know. It's not somewhere else. It's not, you know, all that time I spent hoping. No. This is uh, from David White. I want to write about faith. 
about the way the moon rises over cold snow night after night. Faithful even if it fades from fullness, slowly becoming the last curving and impossible sliver of light before the final darkness. But I have no faith myself. I refuse it the smallest entry. Let let this then, my small poem, like a new moon, slender and barely open, be the first prayer that opens me to faith. So you'll have to, you know, somehow, you know, a lot of times the the teachers up here, we try to encourage in some way. Uh, But again, what's here? Uh, Not that it can't help in some way, but it's still borrowed faith in, in the sense that, you know, you can be inspired. But ultimately, uh, what are we talking about here? You know, what has been available to you and is available to you? you know. And sometimes not so easy. I know that. So I think that's probably good for tonight. I'll finish by reading this again. Exploring Faith. In a world of shifting sands, one sees the hawk. You saw him, did you see him out there? He was out there two days ago or three days ago and he was just, you know, he was so cool. You know, perched in our valley, calm, Devoted to all movement in the green sparkling grasses. The crow dive bomb, dive bobbed him. This is my roof, my territory, my meditation hall, my stories, my thoughts. How dare you intrude? All those things perceived and imagined. Standing on this edge, the merciless, sweet sound of your own voice, never convincing you to jump the taste of salt and dry mouth and the blood from your own bitten lip. Who told you you could outthink this life? Weighing all these things with your golden intelligence, that jumping into complete silence, the sheer darkness wouldn't have consequences no matter how courageously you struggled? Yet your own redemption, this simple gesture, Buddha touching the earth, hawk poised 
on the edge of roof, about to drop off into the darkness of the unknown. Only two possibilities. Finding something solid to stand on, or you will be taught how to fly. Kind of cool, huh? Faith comes in confirmation, like electricity, unseen, yet it lights your path. Faith comes in confirmation, like electricity, unseen, yet it lights your path. So, let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. May that sliver of faith uh, begin to grow.